Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So it's good to be back, guys, after a few weeks of not feeling well. And uh, I've missed everyone. It's, um, I really have. So it's great to be back uh, with you all uh, this Sunday morning. Hands up, those of you who watched the coronation yesterday. Yeah, lots of people, yeah. I don't, whether you are a, a royal fan or you're not, I just think I really enjoyed the kind of Jesus in that service. You know, God was foremost and center in what was said in the Abbey. And the, my favorite bit was the young lad who went up to King Charles before he'd been crowned and said, we invite you here in the name of the king of all kings. I was like, come on, that's more like it. It really set the tone for the rest of the day. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed all that, um, all those celebrations and maybe some of you are having more celebrations today. But we continue in our series um, in Hebrews. And just to set a little bit of context, so... Hebrews is in the New Testament, and uh, it was a letter that was written to new Jewish converts, okay? And it was, it was written to them as an encouragement, because some of the new Jewish converts were going back to Judaism and what they knew, and they were mixing some of the um, biblical truths of Christianity with with the old laws and the old ways. So Hebrews really was just a reminder to those that had become Christians to say, hey, don't do that. This is, there's one way and this is the truth. But also, it's a great book because it really demonstrates who Jesus is. It really kind of culturally puts Jesus in a place of authority. And it says to the Jewish converts, not only do you need to focus on the truth, but you need to focus on Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is who to look to. Don't be distracted with following Jesus. So Jesus is lots of things and, uh, in these letters. Um, but today we're going to focus on Jesus, our priest. And uh, I'm just going to read a scripture from Hebrews 5.2. And it says this, he says, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. See, Jesus was and is a unique priest. He is perfect and will never die. He's able to function in the role both perfectly and permanently, representing God's people to God the Father faultlessly and forever. And that's true. But, or should I say and, although he is perfect, this 
chapter 5 explains that Jesus understood weakness and he understood frailty. Therefore, we can approach him knowing he'll be compassionate when we struggle. See, although Jesus never sinned, he was fully human. And he understood the challenges of following God with the drawbacks of humanness. Our struggles and weaknesses can often lead us to feel hopeless. So a question for us this morning is, do we really fully believe Jesus will be compassionate to us if we fully disclose to him how fragile we feel in life? Have you ever trusted Jesus fully? Have you ever fully disclosed the battles you face? See, there's no place in Scripture that treats the fact of our suffering with shock, with surprise, with frustration, or dismay. Rather, suffering is presented to us as the normal experience of everyone living between the fall of Adam and Eve and the future coming of Christ. Let me tell this church this morning that God hasn't failed. His plan hasn't failed. And you and I haven't been abandoned. And because we know that God has a purpose for leaving us for a period of time in this terribly broken world, we can suffer, but not haughtingly perplexed or in constant dismay or despair nor should we feel forsaken or that we're about to be destroyed hope for sufferers is rooted in the fact that we've not been singled out or forsaken but that what is painful has a purpose let me say that again. What is painful has a purpose. And if suffering has a purpose, then there's reason to believe that good things will come out of what doesn't seem good. In other words, church, the Bible doesn't tell us that by following Christ we're going to have an easy life. It doesn't say that by following Christ, we aren't going to suffer. In fact, it says the opposite. It says to expect suffering, to expect challenges. Just as Christ suffered, we will go through suffering too. If I went round the room now and I asked each of you, if you're struggling with something. And if you were being really honest with me, okay, I think most people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. There's something in my life that is a real challenge to me. And therefore, the question this morning 
changes from are you suffering or struggling with something to how are you dealing with your struggles and suffering? How are you dealing with that? And I want to tell you this morning, church, that God is the answer. He is the answer to any of your struggles. I thought it was really interesting this morning, the, the songs that Chris chose were actually everything I want to say this morning in my preach. Everything that we sang this morning was, is, 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 is in the Word this morning. And I just feel that's a confirmation from God when that happens. That we're talking his truth. We're talking about what he wants us to talk about. Because me and Chris didn't have a conversation about what songs he was going to sing this morning. But I think God listened to God's heart. When I listened to God's heart, both listened to God's heart, he brought this about this morning. So God is the answer. Only he can fight your battles and provide the peace and assurance that we need. And you know what? The Bible has 59 scriptures that all speak into this. And I've picked out five, okay, church? Here's five scriptures that speak to me about the Lord fighting our battles. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. 2 Chronicles 20:17. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Deuteronomy 20, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. He will give you victory. Another Deuteronomy, you shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And one of my favorites, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. How good's that? Five scriptures, all telling the truth that God fights your battles for you. All you have to do is stand and be silent. It's so good, Dorothy, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. So that was my first point. My second point draws out of a scripture, Hebrews 5, 7. And it says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers with petitions, with loud cries and fears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What does that mean? Well, the text explains that Jesus prayed with great intensity. But what did he pray for? And this can be understood two ways. The first possible way is that Jesus prayed for deliverance from what he was going to suffer on the cross. To one who could save him from death. But nevertheless, demonstrated obedience by obeying God the Father's plan. And we see that in Luke 22. You know that scripture where it says, Father, 
If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he prayed for deliverance, but above all else, he put the Father's plan first. In this sense, Jesus' prayer was heard, but he still submitted to the cross. But the second and more likely way this could be understood is that Jesus' whole life on earth was priestly. And in that role, he continually cried out to God in prayer on behalf of humanity and the specific people that he met. There can be hope in the face of great adversity when people pray for others. How does Jesus' life of prayer and devotion on behalf of us encourage you to be like him? Talking to God on behalf of others. Do your prayers contain content for others or primarily for yourself? It's a good question. Do we devote time praying for others because there is power in prayer and it's so easy to focus on ourselves but that's not the kingdom ask the kingdom ask is that we pray for others those in need suffering has the power to destroy our self-reliance you see church we weren't created to be self-reliant so self-reliance never really produces much good in us. We were created to be dependent on God and mutually dependent on each other. I love this. And this word came to me when I was praying and I felt like God was saying, our lives are a community project. Our lives are a community project. You see, suffering exposes the fact that we're not self-sufficient, that we do in fact need others. And the pain and weakness of suffering calls us to cry out to God, just as we heard Cece this morning. Perhaps more genuinely, genuinely, more deeply, more humbly than ever before, both for ourselves and for others. God causes us to long for and experience his comfort so that we're ready to be agents of his comfort in the lives of others. And that's really important, you see, because what we give to others, what we can pass on to others, the impartation from us to others is partly in our experience. You see, if we are healed and we've been through a healing, we're much more confident to pray for that healing in someone else. So we need to go through the suffering in order to understand the power of the healing. And once we stand on the experience of God's healing or God's word and his truth, it's so much easier then to stand and pray for others. And that's why it's important that we don't operate in isolation, but we're willing to share our weaknesses and our suffering with others. Because A, it allows you to know what that feels like. 
and to know what God's healing power or his truth is about. But it also allows the person who's suffering to really understand where you're coming from. So there has to be that, that experience and truth working together. This means that our suffering has ministry in view. Your hardships qualify you to be the part of the most wonderful and the most important work of the kingdom of God. So don't look at suffering and don't look at challenges as being a weakness. They're training. They're training your heart and your body and your mind to be able to reach out and prophesy and speak truth over others in our community who need it most. It's so easy for people to look at suffering and to say, oh, they must have failed. They must have done something wrong. Yeah? So easy to think that. But that's not God's way. God's way is to say, I need you to experience what I suffered on the cross, or I need you to experience some suffering in order that you can pray with power for others. And it's important, church, that we understand that. And we don't treat suffering as a failure. And I get it. It could be hard to share our struggles. Perhaps because there is that misunderstanding of failure or weakness. I think we've come a long way since the pandemic of understanding the importance of sharing. There's a lot more, isn't there, in our community now about well-being and about people's anxiety and people's troubles, not just physical, but mental as well. I have to say, I find it really hard to ask for prayer. That might surprise some of you, but I think there's an unhelpful expectation that leaders are strong, that leaders have it all together, that leaders are the ones who lead and, you know, they, they, they shouldn't have weaknesses or struggles because they're in a position of leadership. Let me tell you, church, pray for your leaders. We need more prayer than ever before. I really believe that in Latchford recently, we've come under a real spiritual battle of health and of wellness. You know, there's a number of us, not just in leadership, but in the church as well, who are really suffering from sickness right now. And I believe it's a simple place of taking position and praying and casting out what has been put over people in Jesus' name. But unless we take that position, unless we boldly and courageously pray for others, the enemy's having a laugh. The enemy's rubbing his hands together going, this is easy work. They're not even praying for each other. Church, we need to step up. We need to be bold. And we need to stand in the identity of who Christ is and who we are as his children. Unless we do that, church, we will always have sickness amongst us. And we'll always have attack from the enemy. But it's been the power of prayer that defeats all that the enemy has.
Our last point comes from Hebrews 5.12. And it says this, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So in this verse, in, in this chapter 6, it speaks to those who still needed constantly reminding that Jesus frequently faced struggles in his obedient priestly life. Suffering and obedience is 101 Christianity. And the suffering and obedience that Jesus demonstrated through his priestly ministry was the back-to-back teachings the readers needed to hear at that time. Some of them may have wanted more sophisticated theological diet. Any of those who have followed Jesus for a number of years and have been in their church probably wanted more meaty teaching from Jesus. But Jesus knew what the people needed. They needed the basic truths. They needed to hear the parables and the stories of, 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 of the kingdom of God, not to go off on some religious theological kind of diet that was beyond what they needed to hear. But there is a challenge to us, church, and it's this. What is your spiritual diet? And I say this with all respect, church, but I think some of us in church are quite happy just to hear the same old things from the front. I think some of us are happy not to be challenged because we're in a place of comfort. And we hear things and we're like, oh yeah, I know this, I know this story, that's great, let's, let's hear this again. Or perhaps we're happy just being mediocre, lukewarm, yeah, well, I'm kind of happy with whatever I get fed from, from teachers or prophets or apostles or at my Bible study. Or As long as it's not too challenging, that's okay. Because I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change. I'm not challenged. It's okay. I like this church because it's easy. People don't ask me awkward questions. I can quite happily take on the teaching and not feel challenged it made me think about the food pyramid when it talks about the ideal diet and it in its traditional form okay the recommendation was that at the bottom of the pyramid was kind of carbohydrates like your pastas and your rice and potatoes and other whole grains then on the, the next bit of the pyramid was fruit and vegetables. And then above that, your milk and your cheese and then your proteins and your meats. And at the very apex of the pyramid, the very top, where the point was, it was kind of to do with um, omega-3s and fatty acids and all that kind of stuff. Some organizations have changed the percentages within that pyramid over time. In fact, some organizations have inverted the pyramid fully. (laughs) 
proteins that derive from lean meats and fats rich in omega-3 should be emphasized while blood sugar raising carbohydrates such as potatoes should be taken out of the pyramid. There's lots of recommendations and it does get quite confusing. But the overarching objective is that this pyramid should give us a balanced diet to achieve good physical health. Okay, that, that's the plan, that's the purpose. Question to you, church, this morning is what does that balanced spiritual diet look like for you? At the base of the pyramid, there should be time spent with God in prayer and reading God's word. In fact, those two actions should be inseparable because both reinforce each other. As we pray, we drew close to God. As we draw close to God, we desire to learn more about him. The next level, perhaps, should be fellowship. This is fellowship with believers within our family and our friends. Fellowship in our local church family, just like this. And the final level should possibly be serving with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. This is serving through the church and the world we live in. Bringing the gospel to seekers and believers alike. A balanced spiritual diet begins and ends with Jesus. He's the main source of our sustenance and our very daily bread which we rely on on a daily basis. It's him who gives us our spiritual health. I want us just for a second to examine our spiritual diet. Ask yourself, is Jesus your main dietary requirement? Or is he just a side dish that you can take or leave? In the Bible it says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. See, people will inevitably reveal what they value most by their actions, where they invest most of their time. Some people may value money more than anything and will go to great lengths to secure and gain more and more material wealth. For many, it's the success in the family. And the most valued treasure of their lives is revealed in how they invest in their family and their friends. That's where their energy goes. Equally, we might spend more time on Netflix or Instagram than in God's word or in prayer. You see, it's often the subtle things that the enemy brings to distract us, to take away from having good spiritual health. So in summary, church, what's this morning's word been all about? Well, Jesus is our priest, first and foremost. He's the answer to our struggles and our suffering, which as Christians were to expect as part of life's journey, as we connect with a fallen world. Jesus himself suffered, so he has, em he has empathy and he has compassion with our struggles and suffering. And more than this, he promises to fight our battles for us. 
and be with us through this suffering. He gives us peace and above all else, hope. And one of the things, church, I want to land on this morning is I think we all too often ask God to remove us from our struggles and challenges. How many do that? Yeah? Well, actually, maybe the answer, instead of asking God to remove us, is asking God to be with us. If it's true, if you believe this morning those scriptures are true, that we only need to stand and be silent and God himself will fight our battles, then surely the answer is not to remove us from the battle, but to invite God into them. Is that not true? But we don't do it. How many times do we say, Lord, I can't take this anymore. Please take me away from this. Please just help me. Take me away from this. Now, sometimes that might be right. But I think more times than not, God wants us to be praying differently. To say, I know who I am. I know who, whose I am. And therefore, I'm going to invite you, Lord, into this battle, into this struggle, because I believe you're going to fight that battle for me. I am just going to stand and be silent and see the Lord, my Savior, at work. That church is where we need to get to. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.